Welcome to episode 122 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up at the night sky and this podcast is for anyone else who likes going out under the stars. How was your week, Shane? Well, not too bad. How was your week, Chris? That was all right. It's pretty clear the past couple of days, so that was good. Did you get uh, any observing in? Uh, a little bit of daytime observing. Um, you know, the early week was kind of rainy, wet and cloudy. Um, and we, we've had some sucker hole moments at night, um, at least like kind of in the evening portion of, of mm. the day. Um, I think the mornings have been a little clearer. Sounds like you got out. Um, yep. but yeah, for me, just one, yeah, just one daytime observing session. And, uh, I did it actually primarily in white light for a mm. change. You know, normally I'm a big H alpha observer, but, um, there, you know, the sunspot activity is really starting to kick up. And, um, you know, this is where a white light filter really shines on a telescope. Um, there's so much, uh, detail within the sunspots and the groupings of the sunspots. Um, mm. it, it was quite nice. Although the issue this week was, um, you know, when it was cloudless during the day, I think we had like 50 kilometer per hour winds, yeah. which, you know, doesn't make for fun observing. And, and, uh, while I, I got some views, they weren't great views, you know, because you're, you're kind of waiting for the wind to subside a little bit so that the, the telescope stops vibrating in the wind. And then, mm. you know, you have your observation and then the wind comes back and, and, uh, not, not the funnest session that I've had, but it worked. Um, mm -hmm. however, today is looking phenomenal and, uh, our wind is supposed to disappear this afternoon. So I will certainly be doing some solar observing today. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, Mike might head out to do some dark sky observing if you're interested in that tonight. Maybe. What time are you guys heading out? I think probably like 10-ish. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. I, you know, I'll, I'll probably do some backyard observing, but, uh, you know, yeah. just to get there for 10 and then observe for two or three hours um, doesn't leave me uh, a very effective worker the next day. So um, yeah, I'll probably yeah. skip. I hear you on that. Going to be off tomorrow morning, just coincidentally anyway. So, uh, oh, well that yeah. works. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's going to work out for me, fortunately. So yeah, it should be, should be good. But yeah, I don't think it's dark enough to see stars until quarter to 11. So, well, yeah. And, and, you know, this time of the year, you know, we're getting to that point where, you know, the, the darkness almost doesn't even exist, you know, like it gets darker, but not real dark. And uh, the real dark moment is, you know, what, 15, 20 minutes, maybe at this point, something like that. Know. Yeah. 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 So I'm just, but the conditions look great. Like, you know, the clear sky clock, uh, yeah. is a, a real positive forecast for tonight. So, yeah. um, you know, it, uh, it will be good. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm going to go up to, uh, to the higher up spot. Cause the, the area around me is when we get all that kind of rain, it's, it's a bit boggy and, uh, it's really boggy out there now. <laughs> so I'm not, not going to be using the site. I scattered out a few weeks back, unfortunately, um, it'd be a mud hole. Like there's no way I'd even get into it for another week or 10 days if it's dry, maybe, but, uh, but yeah, so I'm going to have to have to find, uh, alternative, uh, accommodations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that site that we have at White Butte trails, um, I don't mind it. You know, it's, it's nice in that you can drive in off the road, which I really, really appreciate. Um, the trees sometimes get in the way, like you've yeah. mentioned, but, um, you know, for the most part for, for, uh, a real short drive outside of the city, it's, it's a pretty good spot. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, did you try the, uh, is it called the Urkel Mount? 
The Urkel mount? Urkel mount. Um, the gy- is it a gyro mount? What's the new uh, mount we, that you got? Oh, the Burlabak. Uh, the yeah. Burlabak caster. The caster. Yep, 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 yep. Yeah, gyro and, well, I'm, the Urkel might be its own brand too, but like gyro makes their own mounts. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, I don't have any of those, never used one of those, but um, yeah, oh, I, I thought this was that. the same as that for some reason. Well, it, it might be, you know, it, it, like a lot of these alt as mounts are very, very similar, you know, like yeah. there's, it's quite possible they come from the same manufacturer. Um, but yeah, I have used this Burla backcaster quite a few times now. Like it's, it's basically my permanent, uh, solar observing mount. So okay. this mount is a T mount, you know, you can mount two telescopes on it, one on either side. And I have my uh, little lunt 35 millimeter H alpha on one side. And then I have, um, I was using my William optics, uh, um, 61 millimeter Apo on the other side for white light. But with the sun, like a longer focal length is, is very helpful. You know, it, it allows you to dial up the magnification a little easier mm. uh, with these smaller apertures, um, which is nice, particularly with white light, because um, there's a lot of detail within the sunspots that does require magnification. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had uh, a Zeiss uh, Teleminer. It's a 50 millimeter aperture F10. Mm-hmm. Uh, or F10.4, I think, something like that. And um, uh, I put that on uh, the other side, and it's uh, it's a great performer under white light. Nice. And that mount is, uh, it's really nice. Like, it's so smooth. Um, I should use it at night because that's always a, a bit of a different test. But for the sun, it's fantastic to track. Um, it's uh, It's quite stable with both telescopes on there. Um, I really have no complaints uh, with it right now. Um, the uh, It has two tension knobs on it, you know, one for each axis. Now, okay. when you completely release them, it is just, you know, exceptionally free movement. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I put just a little bit of tension on and it's like perfect. It's almost like there's three settings, like no, no tension at all. Uh, just yeah. a, a little bit of tension, which just seems perfect. And then a little bit more tightening and it's completely locked on, you know, each axis, which is nice for transporting it around. So yeah. telescopes aren't spinning around and slapping you in the face. But uh, yeah, I right now, nothing negative to say about that mount. And, um, you know, I think it's got to be one of the most compact, lightweight, dual mounts that you could buy. Um, there's probably a few others out there that I, you know, don't know about, but um, this one is, is really good. Okay, and we're we're back after that little blip. <laughs> that yeah. was interesting. Yeah, well, technical difficulties, right? I guess uh, it's bound to happen. We are amateur astronomers. Keep eliminating. Yeah, yeah. And, and <laughs> we are definitely amateur podcasters. <laughs> yep, and, and full-time uh, troubleshooters and problem solvers, and uh, <laughs> eliminating more variables. So hopefully, the variable the the root cause has been eliminated, and we're we have smooth sailing going forward. Yeah, well, I mean, your voice is buttery smooth now, Shane. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Good. Excellent. Good. Yeah. Well, let's yeah, hope that must stays. Have, must have been the whiskey on the break. Good. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right. So did you buy that? You were you were you were texting me about a 32 millimeter tack ortho? Is that what it was? Oh, yes. Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, did I buy it? Um, you know, I think I would recommend, uh, let me think here. I think it's episode 120 of the actual astronomy podcast where we talked about, (laughs) 
<laughs> my first light with it um, briefly. Um, it uh, uh, it's it's okay. Like I I need to test it more. So yeah, I do have it. Um, I need to. Um, I need Sorry, to what's the one it. you're talking? Sorry, maybe it's the Urful. Is it an Urful? Oh, the Urful. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sorry yeah. about that. I was. No, I, no. Okay. That that makes more sense because I thought, man, we Chris must have a bad memory because no, uh, no, we we. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm not as interested at the at the simple glass. That's yes. that's that's Shane's uh, uh, observing field name. We call him Simple Glass. S- simple Shane. <laughs> simple Glass Shane. <laughs> so I, the, to be an ortho and an erful, it's all awful. If you, have, I'm just kidding. No, it's <laughs> it's it's all kind of the same thing to me. So I couldn't I couldn't remember when I was writing the notes up if it was another ortho, like an older one, or whether right, it right. was a an erful. So it sounds like an erful. But um, did I did I read that right? Three hundred dollars for an erful? Well, yeah, and I was I think I was a little bit wrong on that. But uh, so I checked my records. The last one went for about two hundred dollars, which uh, still a lot. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, I feel like I could make an erful. <laughs> yeah. So, so an Erfel is, um, like a very, I don't know, I guess it's one of the early wide field eyepiece designs. So prior to Erfels, uh, a lot of the eyepieces in existence were like, uh, orthoscopics, which are about, uh, which provide about a 45 degree field of view. Uh, there were plossels, which are about 50 degrees. And then of course there's the old Kellners and Huygens. Um, but when the Erfels came out, I think they were around 60 degree field of view and mm-hmm. uh, were quite a revelation um, in the, in the world of amateur astronomy, because uh, that, you know, that really opened up the sky per se. Yeah. I think like um, 18, 1860s, 1850s, maybe, I think if I'm, if I'm remembering my, my Roger Sergioli correctly. Okay. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm not too sure, like that. but yeah, that, that could be. Um, so, um, anyway, there's, uh, the Takahashi made a 32 millimeter, uh, Erfel. Um, I don't know what time frame this would have been, but it has the exact same design and look as like the MC, the Takahashi MC 40 millimeter, uh, orthoscopic. In fact, the entire Takahashi MC ortho line looks exactly like this 32 millimeter Erfel. Okay. Um, and this Erfel pops up occasionally on the used sites and, um, it used to go for like around a hundred dollars Canadian, which is, you know, I think a, a better price for an Erfel because, you know, why an Erfel isn't viewed as a great eyepiece now is, you know, it still provides that, you know, wider field around 60 degrees. Obviously we now have eyepieces that are way wider. So if you're, mm. you know, if you're a wide field aficionado, you, you're probably just going to go to the 80 degree plus field of view eyepieces. Um, but the other thing is that the Erfel in fast telescopes is not well corrected to the edge. You, you, mm. know, you start to get distortions and aberrations and, um, you know, that's a problem. So, you know, I, I think for an Erfel to be crisp to the edge, you probably, I don't know, I, I shouldn't talk because I really haven't used them, but I think from what I've read, it's like F8 to F10 is sort of the, the fastest telescope you'd want to use with an Erfel. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, these, uh, these old Takahashi eyepieces have a bit of a following, you know, like there's collectors that really are trying to put together the, the full set. And I think the 32 millimeter Erfel is one of the rarer ones to come across, especially in North America. I think they're more common, uh, in Japan, but over here, they're, uh, they're not as common. And, uh, I think what, what's happening or what's driving up the price is some of these, uh, collectors are trying to 
you know, get the final piece for their set and mm-hmm. uh, pushing the price of these uh, 32 millimeter Urfels up. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, when this podcast airs on Monday, uh, the, uh, there, there's three, there's three of these 32 millimeter Urfels up for sale on buy EE and, uh, but all of those auctions will have closed by the time this podcast drops and, uh, who knows, maybe I will have won one of these. Cause I have an interest in acquiring one of these Urfels, um, because they're extremely lightweight, which that's always the trade-off. Like if you want these 80 plus degree wide field of view eyepieces, um, the trade-off is they're typically a lot heavier. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I'm interested in a lightweight wide field alternative, um, you know, for my telescopes and a number of my telescopes are, uh, are pretty long focal length. You know, even my, my Takahashi 76, I often run it, uh, with the extender in there, which push, pushes it to like an F12. And, uh, I think that it would perform, I think the earful would perform quite well. Now, question. Yeah. I got a question about this. So I'm looking at, I'm looking at the, the site now. And these parts, there's quite a few bids on these, but they're not that high yet. Yep. Maybe, maybe I'll go in and bid on a few of them just for fun, just to, just to give you a bit of a row. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, and uh, what, what format is this? It doesn't look yeah. like one and a quarter. doesn't look like two inch. It looks like uh, something that would, that would fit into a European electrical socket outlet or something like that. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you asked that. So there, there's, there's two issues with these eyepieces. Number one, well, the, the way these things were designed to be used um, in a Takahashi telescope, like there's not an eyepiece barrel, like an inch and a quarter or, or anything that we're used to. It is just a threaded kind of ending to the to the eyepiece. Now, what you would do on the Takahashi telescope. Oh, I'd see you it, screw it on. Yeah, yeah. You remove the eyepiece holder from the telescope, like the, the visual back, and you would screw this eyepiece directly into the back of the telescope. How convenient. Yeah, yeah, really easy to swap in and out. Um, now the other thing is Takahashi made it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They they also have a turret, like an eyepiece turret that I think could hold four eyepieces. And one of the slots was meant for one of these threaded eyepieces. Um so anyway, if you want to use this with a modern telescope, you, well, you used to be able to buy these adapters, like um, the threading on there is 36.4 millimeter. And you could buy these adapters that would screw on and and then it would have an inch and a quarter barrel. So you could easily use it with modern diagonals. I have one of those. Um, They're pretty hard to find now. I don't think they're made anymore. Um, So anyway, that's how I would use it. Mm. But one other thing to be aware of if anybody's going to try to chase one of these things down. So I had the 40 millimeter Takahashi MC ortho and I've sold it and it was a phenomenally sharp eyepiece, but mm-hmm. because it was uh, designed to screw into the back of a focuser and not go through a diagonal, the focal point for that eyepiece requires an awful lot of inward focuser travel. Yeah. Um, and I, could barely get that thing to focus in any of well i think the only telescope it worked in uh was my i think my teleview genesis uh which is really? kind of strange that yeah and and i i can't remember what configuration i had to use it in but anyway it was exceptionally hard to get this thing to acquire focus and i'm yeah. suspecting that the 32 millimeter Urfel will be the same the same thing so well, that makes sense it does it's- because if it's meant to just screw on to the end of the uh, Takahashi telescope adapter, um, I guess I guess it depends on whether you have that. There's like that 60 mil, 
millimeter segment, right? And if you, because maybe, maybe we should just back up here for a second. When you buy a Takahashi telescope and you think that you're just getting like a regular telescope that you can sim- simply and conveniently slide either a two or a one and a quarter diagonal into, you're in for, for some di- adapter fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so what happens is you actually get, you get it. And if you, if you're not aware of this, and I was fortunately when I bought, bought my first tack and I'm like, all right, I know I got to unthread that and basically throw it away. So actually, actually in the bot, I didn't throw it away. Um, I bought a, uh, a feather touch to get with it because I knew that this was just like, I don't even know how I'm going to figure that out. And I've had that telescope for four years now. And I've only just really figured out how all those adapters go together because I had to. And, uh, and yeah, if you leave, there's like a few different segments. There's like a big, uh, it's either a 40 or 50 or 60 millimeter segment. If you take that out to use this, then yeah, you wouldn't even be able to use it in a diagonal. But if you, if you just use the, the shorter adapters and then put your tack diagonal in, that should work. That should come to focus. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of a, you know, it's, it's good and bad, you know, the, some of that is, is really nice to have if you're into astrophotography and, and, you know, the, uh, uh, you, you need some of that extra, uh, back focus. Um, yeah. there, there is purpose for it, but you know, for, for a lot of the visual folks, it can be actually kind of annoying. Um, yeah. cause you're messing around with this stuff. And, and like the other thing too, is, um, if I, like the, I have to have different adapters in place depending on whether or not I also have the Q extender in place. So everything is like a, a formula. You know? Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah. 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 Sure. So anyway, with this Erfel, um, I'm hopeful to get one, but because of all of these factors, like me, not even knowing how well it will work, like me, not even knowing if I'll be able to achieve focus with it. Uh, I don't really want to spend a lot of money on this thing. So yeah. it has to come in at the right price for me, given yep. what it's been selling for lately. My right price is a lot lower than kind of current market value. Uh, yeah. So I'm I'm doubtful I'll get one, but hopeful. Yeah. So you think that would kind of give you like your max one and a quarter inch uh, field of view, eh? Yeah. Yeah, it definitely would. Um and depending on the field stop, like I also have a, a two inch barrel that goes on to a 36.4 millimeter IP. So I could, I could put a two inch barrel on there, um, mm. and you know, see what that looks like too. So, mm. you know, it's sort of an experiment. Um, and, and really to be honest, yeah, I, I don't need an eyepiece for this purpose. Like I have a 24 millimeter panoptic, which we've talked about at length, you know, it gives a, the widest field of view in an inch and a quarter that you can buy. Uh, I now have this 32 millimeter ortho, which is close uh, to that field of view. And I have that 40 millimeter Kellner, which provides a max field of view and is exceptionally light. The ortho mm. is exceptionally light. So I've kind of got this area covered off. It's more of a, I'm curious, you know, I, I like to play around with this stuff sometimes and huh. that's what I'm doing. Yeah. Apparently I'm just looking online. Apparently you can fit adapters to it. The teleview um, I think it's like the, the stigmatic or whatever corrector uh, that you need for your particular vision set. You can stick one of those on there and it will correct for your vision so that you don't need to wear glasses while you're observing. Although why, I mean, is the eye relief that short on this thing? I'd be reluctant to buy it if the eye relief is that short. On the earful? Yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah. I don't know what the eye relief is like. Um, yeah. I'm not sure. Hmm. Interesting. Well, that's uh I'm glad you're going through that, not me. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what? What here's another sort of funny anecdote about this whole path or journey is I used to have one of these things. I bought I won an auction, but um what you really have to watch out for with some of these old eyepieces coming from humid environments is that they can have mold or um like fungus growing in them and mm-hmm. and it it it's not like food mold. It, it's like spidery, like almost looks like spider web on the lens, but it's inside the like if it's on the surface it, that's not as bad because if it hasn't been there very long, you can just wipe it off. Um, and if you use the right cleaner, it shouldn't come back. And uh, if it didn't live there very long, it shouldn't have damaged any of the coatings either. But where some like where this can sometimes live is in between the elements. And if it's mm-hmm. there, the eyepiece is trash. And you shouldn't even stick that in a diagonal because some of those spores could travel into your gear. And then, you know, you're growing mold in other places. You don't want it. Um, so anyway, I had acquired one of these at a good price. And I think the reason I got it for a good price is because it had this, like this fungus growing in it. So it, it went from barely being opened in the parcel to in the garbage can real fast. Uh, Oh no. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, like I say, I didn't spend a lot on that one. So it was, uh, you know, school of hard knocks. I learned my lesson and I I won't repeat that. Mm. Mm. That's too bad. Yeah. So I was, uh, monkeying around with my my attack bits. So this is kind of in, in keeping if I can skip ahead to what I was doing. Yeah. Yeah. Go for it. Yeah. So, so I bought that, uh, tack diagonal for me, which I always wanted super excited to get that. And then, um, when I tried it out, Oh, I guess it was a month or so ago, maybe, um, what happened was I didn't have enough, uh, in focus, with my, with my uh, tack refractor set up for two inch eyepieces. So I thought what I would do is just put a one and a quarter inch adapter inside my two inch focuser and then just slide the diagonal in and Bob, you know, like it would just work, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, that, that didn't work. It was, it didn't have enough out focus. And I thought, that's no problem. I get all kinds of two inch adapters, put in my shortest two inch adapter, not enough in focus. So I was like, what? So now I got to deal with trying to sort out that, that, uh, ridiculous contraption that comes on the end of a Takahashi telescope. Cause I'm like, I think that would work. So I try, there's three or four different ways you can set it up, I think. But anyway, there's one way that works. And so I, I was able to sort it out cause it's hard to tell the way they have it is, you know, typically with most things, if you see like a change in size or texture on on most items that we get like I'm, I'm looking at like a bottle of advil here or something like that you know like you can see where the top is and it meets and there's like it, it they design it in such a way that when you look at it you know what screws and what doesn't screw and you know things like that but with the tack stuff you'll have those kind of concentric rings and they'll have knurled edges and that some of them you can unscrew and some of them you can't so you could be there like trying to put all this force on something that it's not going to come unscrewed no matter how hard it's like just one piece and then the next one up that looks like it's part of of the system um no that unscrews perfectly like that's the one you kind of have to put your put your attention on so anyway, so I was able to, to take out the right sections and, um, and then I'm left with, with the end section, which is like the, what do you call it? It's like a self-centering tension uh, adapter, right? Like it's not the set screw with the, um, the tightening ring on the inside. I, anyway, whatever that's called, you know what that's called? Like, like the, uh, like the clamp, the eyepiece clamp. Yeah. Yeah. 
anyway, that's what you end up with on, on the end of it. So with, with that and with the, um, with the one and a quarter inch um, inserted into that, uh, it does, it reaches focus and focus is fine, but well, I don't, I don't mind. I think it's fine. The, the tension adapter is fine on the diagonal itself. Like when you're putting eyepieces in, that's, that's fine. I, it turns out I really don't like the way that like all these sort of threaded components are threaded onto the back of the telescope. So, you know, if you want to adjust your diagonal at all, um, you know, things are turning, sometimes they're binding and I, I just really didn't like it, you know, and, you know, if, if you're in your living room, this is, this is always the case with, with telescopes and such. You're looking at stuff online. You think, oh, that's an adapter. It's just going to work fine. But, but when you're out, so I'm out observing at three o'clock in the morning, I get up in the middle of the night to observe. I, I'm, I'm hardly conscious, right? <laughs> you know, and I'm trying to mess around with all these concentric tightening circles. And I can't remember whether left is right and right is like, which way is tight? I don't know. Like I was asleep 10 minutes ago you know, um, but I want to do some observing and that just doesn't work for me as, as well as turn the screw or turn the big thing. And one way's, you know, tight, the other way is loose, you know, and, and that's all, that's all you have to do. And it's, it's much more straightforward. Um, so anyway, so, so what I, what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to put the Bader click lock back on and I'm going to get a, get a, a, a new extender. Um, and it's going to solve two problems, which is always good. So first of all, these little adapters are pretty inexpensive. I have one, but the one that I have is just three millimeters too, uh, too short. It, I can use it, but it doesn't give me quite enough, um, purchase on the diagonal that I want for using like my heavier one, a quarter inch eyepieces like the Pentax XWs. Mm -hmm. So, so I'm going to buy another, another adapter. And what that will do is it's going to give me the out focus I need when it's in the, uh, the Bader click lock. So I get to use the Bader click lock and I get to use um, just, just a very straightforward little adapter. And the little adapters have threads for filters. So the, one, the, the only thing that I don't like about the TAC diagonal other than this, I think it is, it's beautiful looking. I think the optics on it are perfect. It's very light. Um, I think it looks pretty cool. If I didn't say that already, it does look nice, which I guess shouldn't matter that much, but I do like the way it looks. And, uh, and it just doesn't allow you to, to thread on filters on the end. It's not threaded for filters, which I think is kind of weird because I like to put a planetary filter on and then like a, like a beta contrast booster. That's what I like to observe with, but I like to put it on and when I'm observing planets, I'm going to be using the beta contrast booster and, and like, I'm not going to take it off when I'm doing planets. Like mm -hmm. if I'm, you know, the other morning I'm doing Saturn and, and Jupiter, I'm going back and forth. I'm looking at Saturn and Jupiter. I'm just going to leave the contrast filter on because in general, I think it does make for a much better view. Uh, that's just my own personal preference. Um, but <laughs> when it's on an eyepiece, I have to take it off the eyepiece, put it on the other one. If I'm changing powers and all this kind of stuff now on the, the 60 millimeter, it doesn't matter as much because basically I'm going to do all my observing at hundred power. Cause that's sort of where planets really start to look good. In my opinion, that's where you really can start to see some stuff. And that's kind of where the power runs out on a 60 millimeter telescope. Anyway, anything else is just getting, getting a bit too high for, for my eyes anyway. Um, but when I, bring it over to the, uh, to the hundred millimeter where I'm going to be starting at a hundred power and I might be running up into, well, in my experience, I've been able to run that scope up into the mid 300 powers. Um, I want to be able 
just put that filter on and then and then swap eyepieces back and forth uh, easily without without taking filters on and off. Should do it with the the little adapter, and you know they're pretty cheap. They're like around twenty five bucks, so it's not a big well, outlay. Yeah, you know, as far as costs for improvements go with this hobby, that's that's pretty good. Yeah, but this has been like the spring of adapters around here, and I keep putting these orders in and getting adapters, and my my wife is like, "What are you like? You're getting more adapters? We've got all these adapters. Just I, I think I got to clean them up because they're just like sitting out. Because I have a spot. We actually had a a thing built. So it's a long story, but we had a thing built where I can put some of my telescope stuff in the house, and then I can just have it all. And then like you know, as I'm as I'm working on or like doing observing then i can just kind of have it all there like i have my books in a special drawer like for my charts and special like a big countertop for kind of uh, just having my eyepieces out so i can just like walk in grab an eyepiece and then bring it out and put it in because there's no way i could could carry all my gear in like an eyepiece case it would be i don't know weight like 100 pounds or something ridiculous so anyway um i've got it all kind of set out but but now it's just like there's a million little plastic parts <laughs> that are on this countertop and it's just not going, not going over well, plus some sketching gear and stuff like that. Cause I've been also working on getting the mini Borg set up mm. the way that I want it. And, and I went on auction this week for the, uh, it's my first buy auction that I've, that I've gone down the road on and uh, bought a two inch uh, focuser for that little Borg, um, which was a decent price. It was, sounds like it was in the, within about five bucks of the one that you bought and the only difference being is it's the next model older, but the person is saying anyway, it looks brand new. They said it was a brand new adapter. They only took it out to try it, but for whatever reason, it only has one set screw. seems like missing set screws in these focusers is pretty common. Yep. And, and I think they're really only required if you're doing uh, photography to kind of lock in the focus. Yeah. To be honest, like mine, mine never came with the set screws and I don't know. I, I think if I had set screws, I would just take them out anyway because they would get in the way or I'd lose them. Uh, but they really don't serve any purpose in my opinion for astronomy because, um, you know, the, like the way it works in line with the telescope once you set your focus, you're not like, you're not going to lose it. Um, what can happen sometimes with a traditional focuser is if you have like a heavy eyepiece and diagonal yeah, and you're looking up, sometimes all that weight can slowly pull the focuser outwards, which, you know, then you have to rack it back into, to get your crisp focus. Mm -hmm. But the way this helical focuser works on the Borg, like that's just never going to happen. So, uh, I don't know if you'd really ever use it to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, so so um, I was sort of glad when I had mentioned that before, and you, you had told me, "Oh, there's set screws at these things," and I'm like, "Great, then I don't need them." Yeah. Um, it comes with one, and I did source the part number, so I can, if you want, I can send you the part number sometime for those little screws. They are available apparently, and they have like a they're like a seventy one sixty or something like that. Oh, gee. <laughs> Anyhow, so so I have this coming, and then uh, then the only thing I'll need to get is the little ring, and what's What's ridiculous about getting one of these little rings to to mount it to to my tripod or whatever, like a like a like a like a dovetail mm -hmm. bar, mm -hmm. is that um, uh, there was tons of them for sale forever. And as soon as I got this scope from you, I I I think I saw one go through for a really high price. Like <laughs> I don't know, I think there's seventy dollars to buy new, and I think the price it went for was like I don't know, like close to you know five dollars within that range. I'm like, well, I'll just buy a new one. Um, 
So anyway, so wait, waiting on that and then, uh, and then I'll be good to go. And I'd like to get the little riser adapter too, if I can just, just to have it set up exactly the way I want, but, but getting the focus is, is sort of the big thing. If I don't have the focus, then there's no point in even buying the other parts anyway, because you can't focus your darn eyepieces, but this one sort of one upside and one downside. So the upside is that apparently you can actually put your uh, two inch accessories into this. Like they'll, they'll actually go right into it. Mm. Um, so if, like if you have a two inch diagonal or two inch eyepiece, whatever you want, it can actually go inside this and, and it allows you to put the focus on that end of the telescope. I don't know if that's a big deal. I don't know what, but that's like apparently the only advantage to this over, over the one that you have on the downside. There's two things. <laughs> one is that apparently there's some internal reflections, So you have to flock it. That's no problem. Cause I have about 15 yards of flocking paper that I accidentally <laughs> bought that time. So uh, yeah, I know you're, you're laughing. This is totally true. Is that I thought I was buying, I, 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 I misconverted like millimeters to inches or something like that. So I went to buy like a 30 by 30 millimeter sheet and, and I could be even wrong. Maybe I decided that I would go with 60 by cause it's huge. Yeah. It's going to be 60 by 60. It's, it's, it's bigger than like a, like a big TV. Some of them have in their house. And so I ordered this. I thought, Hmm, I'll go with two feet just to be sure. Cause I think I need about a square foot of this. Mm-hmm. And when it came, <laughs> I just like, I just about keeled over and it's super cheap to buy. So it was like, uh, I don't know, like 20 bucks or something American. So I was like, well, that sounds about right for a little sheet of this stuff. It's, you know, it's not like inexpensive stuff to manufacture or whatever. So, you know, it's not like you're buying a piece of paper for your printer. It, it's like a textured special custom velvety type material. Okay. Yeah. So 20 bucks for, for a couple square feet. That doesn't sound too bad. I'll, you know, I hemmed and hawed. Do I want to spend 10 or $20? Well, I don't know how much you'd have to, like literally the, the size that I want, it could have only cost like a buck or something considering what I got. Anyway, th- this is enough to make almost like curtains out of, for like my bedroom windows, right? It's going to say you should make a jacket out of it. <laughs> that would be, that would be amazing. That would mm-hmm. be amazing. It's not, I don't think you could though. It's not that type of material. Like it's <laughs> yeah. not really, it's kind of stiff, but anyway, yeah, so I have all this. Yeah. So I'm like, well, that won't be a problem. But then the other, apparently and we'll see how it works is that if you're really jamming hard on one end or the other, I don't know how it works, but apparently it can come apart. Like it kind of will unthread itself okay, or decompose as they put it in my, in my uh, Japanese to English translator. (laughs) So I'm guessing that's what it means. But, uh, but, you know, I don't, I don't anticipate like, you know, typically when we're focusing and I mean that, you know, you got to be careful at the end of all your, your focal points, like typically we're not, jamming it like at the at the end but i could see like if you were if you were taking um nature photographs maybe that's something like where you know um they have heavy lenses on these things and they're out in nature and you know i could see where if you're like really screwing it like really turning it and unturning the helicoidal part then yeah i could see how you might thread that off if it has a lens on it but i think for for the astronomical purposes you set it up you know, when you're setting up these Borg scopes, you need to be aware of where your focal point is for your eyepieces. So I kind of have measured that off already. And then you want to put the the focus right in the middle of that anyhow. And this one has tons of focus. I think it has like 39 or 46 millimeters. It has quite a bit. Wow. And, yeah, that's pretty yeah, good. Yeah. So, oh, and it's a little bit lighter. It's it's like uh, two or three ounces lighter than the one you get. I know you complained a little bit about the weight too. So that, well, the weight 
you know, I think that this will be a little bit better. So anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought there was some plastic on that one too, but I, I'm not sure if I, if I'm right on that, I thought I read that, but I'm, you yeah. know, I've read so much stuff about these little telescopes. I'm not sure. Um, I, I do oh, yeah, recommend, there's plastic, yeah. yeah, I do recommend putting it as forward as you can, or as close to the lens. Yeah. Um, just because it'll counterbalance a little bit of that two inch stuff you're hanging off the other end of it. And, and that's the biggest challenge with these little 50 millimeter Borgs and a two inch setup is the balance is nearly impossible to achieve. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of have a bit of a strategy for that, but yeah, yeah point, uh, point taken for sure. Yeah. I'll give that a, give that a shot. So I also get to test out my more blue trademark gear, which is, which is, I think a, a new, um, manufacturer. I think it's from Japan. If I'm, if I'm not mistaken, it could be from Taiwan. I'm, I'm yeah. not exactly sure. Do you know? Yeah. No, no, I don't, but I'm really intrigued by their stuff because I think it's a lot of like really lightweight material. Like yeah. you have the dovetails. I noticed they have some uh, rings out there that kind of remind me of those K Aztec rings, but yep. um, they, they, it looks like really good quality stuff. Um, how, yeah. how is it? It's good. Yeah. It is very good quality stuff. Um, yeah. It's a little bit surprising. Um, I'm not sure what they're doing. I think they're like hardening aluminum or something. I don't know if you can do that or not. Cause it's very light. Like I was surprised how light the rings are. So I had a seven inch um, or sorry, the, the dovetails. I had the seven inch. Now don't get confused. It's a Lasmandy Vixen. So it's a Las made by Lasmandy, but it's a Vixen plate and it's solid steel. And that thing weighs like, I don't know, 13 ounces or something. And then the more blue is, I don't know whether it's hardened steel or what they do, but it's hollowed out and, and it only weighs like four or five ounces. I mean, you can tell it's, you know, just about like a can of pop or a can of soda, as they say in the States, it, it's about half or two thirds of the weight of that, which you notice in hand um, for sure. And um, yeah, the material seems a little bit better, like for whatever reason. So, and, and, you know, I'm not like knocking the Lasmini plates. I know they're pretty popular, but the one thing I noticed with the Lasmini is the, the plate, it, it's matte black, but it's a very heavily painted material. And I noticed that um, things can maybe rotate just a little bit more than what I was looking for. And, and then the added weight, sometimes it, I don't know, it just seems like a bit of, a bit of weight with these little scopes. So I bought a four inch, it's either, four, no, maybe it's a five inch and the six inch. So I put the five inch on my tack 60 and I use that. And uh, yeah, I thought it was quite a bit better. I, I feel like, you know, it seems like a weird thing, like a, like a dovetail, how could dovetail be better or not? Um, but yeah, it definitely seemed like it grabbed the purchase a little bit better on the bottom of my, my tack ring adapter. And because uh, that's kind of textured. And then these, these aren't like super smooth. Um, they don't see, they almost seem like a bit, not rough, but they're not like super smooth. Like some of the other plates or basically all the other plates have. So I screwed it down and I didn't really, I thought I would really have to wind it down. Um, but I didn't, and it just took the purchase really well. So I was kind of, uh, pretty happy with that. Yeah, for sure. Hmm. So that was nice. Um, I'm a little bit worried with the with the uh, TAC 100. I was playing around with that. I got to see how it goes. I might test it out tonight in the field um, because with the, the tripod extension is, is amazing. It's uh, it's about nine and a quarter inches long 
and it weighs nothing. It just doesn't even weigh anything. Like I can't even sense any weight when I'm holding it. And I I want it kind of a, I wanted a more supportive um, and I guess an easier to affix um, little pier for my, for my tripod. So I have the Skywatcher mini pier. It's like eight inches or something like that. And I think um, it's good, but there's a couple things that, that concern me about that one. One is the threaded hole on the bottom. It, it, the, the screws don't seem to go that far into it. So there was a couple times where it seemed to kind of rotate. And I was like, if it goes too far, the whole thing's coming off. And then the other part is, and maybe this is why they designed the other part this way, is you get like a little circular, I mean, I don't know, it looks like a cog almost, but it's a cog round shape. And then there's like a silver plate on the bottom and that kind of fits into the top. So you attach whatever mount you're putting on to that. And then you sort of put that into the top of the pier. And then you have these three little set screws that are around that. And it's just like a, like a, it's like a steel or aluminum um, circle that has three set screws into it. Well, that can rotate, you know, as you know, like, like, you know, and there's no real, there's like some indentations maybe, but but there's nothing real. Like if you really crank on that, like you will just rotate that. And maybe that's why they did it that way. So that the whole thing doesn't rotate off, but it's not really a good solution. Like I, I would have, I think they, what they ought to do is just redesign the base so that when you're threading um, your tripod bolt in, that it actually purchases properly. And then, then it, it's on there. Good. And that's what more blue did is they, they have it so that it purchases on there. And then the top, it's a little bit more, it's a little bit smaller, like around, than the, um, than the Skywatcher one, but it doesn't weigh anything. And then when I put my AZ G, AZ, AZ GTI on top of that, um, the whole thing, you know, already seems a little bit top heavy because the tripod itself only weighs like six pounds. And then the, the, uh, pier extension weighs like one ounce or something. I think three ounces, maybe it's like, it's weird. It doesn't weigh anything. And then my, my head weighs like four and a half or five pounds or something with the batteries in it. So it feels almost like it's already top heavy. And then when I load the scope up, like it doesn't, I don't know. I'm just curious to see, I might have to get a counterweight bar because it seems like it might just be off center for, for balance. So I might have to put a counterweight bar on it. Um, and then with the, uh, with the dovetail plate, like taking off another few ounces right in the center of gravity, um, you know, I think it's just putting it maybe a little bit outside of balance. So, so we'll see, we'll see. It's, it's still a little bit of a work in progress. If I ever put a counterweight bar on it, that that's not that big a, big a deal. And, uh, the other thing I might try doing is just lowering the tripod a little bit, but, uh, but the way it's set up, I think I sent you a photo of it. Uh, I think it looks pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I think it looks great. Um, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of, uh, I don't know, your utopian setup is getting close to completion. Yeah. And I, I, and this is something, this, this is a multi-purpose, um, facet to it, which is I, I bought a Celestrum power tank yesterday, um, to power the mount. So I was thinking, well, um, if I, if I slap the power tank onto the tripod, then that's going to give me a little bit more ballast down below. And then, um, yeah, then, then we'll see once that comes, we'll see, we'll see if that does the trick. Cause I think those things weigh like four or five or six pounds anyway. 
something like that. You have one of those. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they have considerable weight and, and that is a good part of it or like a good use for it is to, you know, add some ballast because weight can be a good stabilizing factor on a tripod. And yeah, if you can hang it, uh, it'll definitely help. Yeah. And then, uh, like I got a, I got the sort of the medium sized one. They have like a tiny little one that I originally thought I would get. And then I decided because we won't do, um, like a lot, a lot of stuff remotely, um, that if I got the smallest one, I think, I think it would run fine. I think it would run the AZ GTI fine for a few nights anyway. Um, uh, but when we're out like that, sometimes I want to do a charge on my phone or watch or something else, um, which won't really pull off too much, too much charge, but I'd like to have that little bit of extra capacity. And then, uh, I don't know why this is, but I don't know how, what your power has been like recently, but it seems like over the past few months, we've lost power like once a month for three to six hours. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, inevitably one of us doesn't have a charge on the phone. So I've got enough computers around that. I'm like, Oh, we'll just take a charge off one of the laptops or something. But you know, it, yeah, inevitably we'll, we'll get into a situation where, you know, uh, the laptops will be dead too. And then we'll be sitting there and, and without any kind of phones or anything else, it just kind of is like, well, you know, I can get one of these batteries and, uh, and it was on sales. It's like, you know, it, it, it doesn't cost that much. I can use it for astronomy and use it for non-astronomy stuff, non-astronomy stuff for camping. I can use it for non-astronomy stuff around the house. And uh, this is just a, a good thing to get, I think. Yeah, it's, it's a really handy thing to have. Um, and like I've used it. So I used to have a Celestron AVX uh, equatorial mount. Yeah, I remember that. Um, yeah. yeah, I used it on there, and uh, I have a, a Los Mandy like GM nine mount. It's uh, mm. it's kind of a unique mount, and I've used it on there. And like this thing powers those mounts for hours, and you barely notice any decline in the power store. Uh, yeah. So it's it's a phenomenal little battery. And you know something else too. Like one of the reasons why I bought it is um, I was going to buy one of those like cheap. Um, kind of handheld battery tanks that you can like charge cell phones from. Yeah. Um, Cause they're far, they're far cheaper than this Celestron unit. Yeah. But the issue with lithium batteries is that if moisture gets in them, they yeah. can become very, very dangerous. Yeah. And uh, you know, the Celestron power tank is really designed for being outside in astronomy and not, yeah. uh, you know, allowing moisture to get in there. Yeah. Um, so that was a big selling feature to me. I, I didn't, I do not want a battery pack, you know, starting on fire or expanding or, you know, any of the bad things that can happen. So that's, yeah. that's why I went with it as opposed to like a, just a cheaper version or cheap tank off of Amazon. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I'm there with you on that. I think, uh, yeah, it's a good, good safety thing. And, uh, the difference in price wasn't, wasn't significant on, on sale. There was virtually no difference in price. So makes makes a lot of sense and then with that i finally ordered my teleview three times barlow so i'm gonna play out that experiment with the uh with my old uh two times barlow and the 3x um because apparently if if you combine the old uh the old 2x with the with the 3x barrel so you take the 2x optics out take the optics out of the 3x you don't mix them up and then you you put uh, put the two x optics on the three x barrel, you get a two and a half or two point five x Barlow. And so what this will give me is is the ability to do this. So I own the Doctor twelve and a half millimeter, which I basically spent my past and future eyepiece budget on. 
So I'm trying to kind of maximize its usage. A and B, that's that's just an amazing eyepiece. Like just full stop. That's you know, it's just shocking how good it is. Like in fast scopes, in these little scopes, it gives an 84 degree field of view, and uh, and it's got this this really flat flat field. I think it's got like some sort of distortion or something. I hear like people say, oh, I couldn't stand this such and such distortion. I can't remember what it is. Particular um, does it? I think I don't know. It's, Whatever the spotting scope, like it, it's in line. I think with like the uh, Pentax XWs, the Nikon Navs, like they all have the same. And I like those. Yeah, I so, think they're all fine eyepieces. So, so I think it comes down to your eye, which is which is funny because uh, I, I've I've certainly looked through all the Ethos or Ethoys and some of the other ones, uh, but I really like I always like the Pentax, and then uh, kind of hearing some of those negative things on the on the Nikon's too. Um, I was sort of keeping my expectations in check when I, when I tried your, uh, your five millimeter last year. And I love that eyepiece. Mm -hmm. So I think everybody's eyes different for some reason, maybe our eyes accommodate better for these more spotting scope type eyepieces. Plus we're kind of using them in telescopes that are more like spotting scopes. So I don't know, maybe that has something to do with it too. Um, but what I can do with this is with my 12 and a half millimeter in my four inch, I get about 60 magnification. I have uh, a 1.6 um, Nikon Barlow, which actually ends up equating to about 100x with this eyepiece. And then with the two times Barlow, I get close to 125x with, with it at two and a half x or two and a half ma magnification or two times, 2.5 times Barlow. I get about 150. And then with the three x, I get about 190. So I got 60, 100. 125, 150, and 190. I really like that spacing. I've used I've used those magnifications quite a bit. So by having basically two, well, I guess yeah, two barlows, three barlows, and one eyepiece, I get uh, two, four, five. I get these five different powers all out of this this one eyepiece. And then I have some low power, like my Pentax 40 and uh, and my 30 millimeter wide scan, which I do hope to kind of in a way replace with the, uh, with the 32 millimeter mass EM at, at some point here in the future. Um, I don't know. Do you think I can live with two eyepieces and uh, a fistful of Barlow's? Well, I, I think you can. Um, I I'm curious to see, uh, how you like it in the field. Um, cause mm. you know, you and I have waxed on for, for many episodes about our, you know, not disdain, but our preference to not use Barlow's because yeah. of the, the in out, you know, we always refer to it as the futz factor. Yeah. But, um, the thing is, is Barlow's do work, right. And, yeah. and they can really, uh, expand like your focal length coverage with just a minimal set of eyepieces. So for sure you can do it. Um, and you know, I'll be curious to hear how you, how you enjoy it and what you think of the views. Yeah, I guess like I, I ended up buying that Nikon Barlow last fall for, for the Mars opposition. And I ended up using it quite a bit more than I expected. Um, and here, here's the thing is that typically, and this, this is kind of how we observe, is that you want, you want to use the Barlows for your higher powers. Um, and so right now, like I have the low power and then kind of 60 X is kind of, to me, that's like with my small scopes, I feel like that's more like a medium power. I also have a seven millimeter Pentax XW that I can take that actually gives me 105 power or something like that. So, so I can kind of sort of in a way almost ditch 
the 97 and the 125 power, whatever, by simply taking that, that seven millimeter along. And then on a lot of nights, um, you can hit about 150 power, like probably on half the nights or so. And then probably on about the other um, 25 or 50% of the nights. Yeah, anyway, on, on another fraction of the nights, you, you can get up to about 200 power. And then the nights where, you, where I can go above 200 power on my four inches is sort of few and far between. So, so I kind of feel like I have those ranges. So typically I'm probably not going to be running 190 on most nights. So I'm actually thinking probably what I'll do in reality, I'll probably end up taking one of my low power eyepieces, the 12 and a half, I'll be taking out the um, Barlow set at two and a half with the, the, uh, the optics for the three X and then taking the seven millimeter with me. And that actually, by having those three eyepieces and then really just using one Barlow, um, sort of in a, in a set of combinations, I can, I can go out. If it looks like conditions will hold more power than like 105 power, then I'll put the 2.5 in. And if, if it looks like that's not, you know, eating up all the magnification the sky will hold, then, Hey, I'll just swap the, uh, I'll swap the magnifications around and go for about 189 or 190 power, whatever it is. And, uh, and that probably maxes out the, the four inch for what you're going to see on, on deep sky objects. Anyway, if I'm looking for planets, then I'm in a, I'm in a different setup using the, uh, using other equipment anyway. So this is really just my deep sky setup. Yeah, that's really awesome. I'm, uh, I'm curious to see how you like it. I think, yeah. uh, I think it's an interesting approach. Yeah, it should be good. Had some emails from Larry. I don't think we'll, we'll read them all. He, uh, he, uh, you know, sent us some, some emails there. Jim also sent us some emails about his lunar eclipse expedition and some, those are great photos he sent of the, of the uh, eclipse going through clouds. Yeah. Yeah. I thought he, uh, he did a great job to get some photographs despite, you know, the local conditions not being super great with the clouds, but he stayed persistent and was able to observe portions of it and, uh, grab some interesting photos. Yeah, it was, it was neat. It reminds me of the, the first uh, lunar eclipse I watched when my wife and I were dating back years ago um, was very reminiscent of that. We, we were able to, to see like clouds were coming in and out. And unfortunately it was like, was like where the, where the moon was, that's where the clouds were. And then, uh, you know, the moon went into eclipse and we were kind of driving, we had to drive um, pretty far out of, of the city we were living in at the time to actually see it. And then once the moon went, went dark once it was in full eclipse um then i remember i observed it must have been in the winter or something because i remember observing the uh, open clusters up in origa and she got too cold and hopped back in the car for the rest of the the eclipse we were out there watching for a couple hours but yeah his his photos sort of brought back those memories then we had a couple uh a couple emails from larry it looked like you were having a good conversation with larry about uh about picking out uh a new a new telescope or a different telescope i read one and then it looks like you chatted with him and then he bought another one so do you want to just sort of let us know what uh what what happened with larry and his in his telescope selections yeah so larry observes oh gee i'm gonna get this wrong his telescope right now i think is like around a 70 millimeter f10 i think i thought um, it was an 80 maybe it's an 80 yeah you might yeah. be right and vixen. Uh, it's a vixen isn't it could be it could yeah. be um so he sent an email he was considering buying a, a four inch celestron or an older vixen like super long focal length like an f15 i think 60 millimeter that came with a bunch of interesting eyepieces um so basically the feedback was that you know a four inch will show a lot more 
his current telescope will show more than the 60, but the 60 being a long focal length um, will be a very interesting scope to, to use as well. Um, and, you know, it, I find that the, the small aperture long focal lengths are great for light polluted skies, at least in my experience. Um, so anyway, long story short, he ended up getting the 60 millimeter, uh, going to save up for like a, you know, a nice Apple, uh, apochromatic, uh, hundred millimeter one day, but he also bought uh, a Vixen version of the 80 millimeter F5 that you've talked a lot about Chris. Yeah. So, uh, so some new toys for, for Larry, excited to hear, you know, how he, uh, or what he thinks of them when he gets them. Yeah. I'm really interested to see what he thinks of that Vixen version of, of the ST80, um, because I think that one comes with a two inch focuser on it, uh, from the factory, mm. which it always surprised me that they, and, and maybe they did keep it in the line, but I, I, I haven't looked for it recently, but I always thought, well, that just, that's just going to extinguish everybody else who makes an 80 millimeter, because I think they the price wasn't too bad. I think he said he paid just over hundred bucks Canadian for it even. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and I think the new price wasn't a whole heck of a lot more than that. Even if it was $200 Canadian, it would still be in line with, with the 80 millimeter F fives, um, like, like that I've bought the past year. And, uh, and so I always thought, Oh, I'll pick one of those up at some point in time, because, you know, you think, well, um, you know, it's, it's kind of like the, a good, a good combination of, uh, of some, some inexpensive and more expensive parts, you know, so you're gonna, you kind of get that upgrade that, uh, that I did by, by sticking two inch, a two inch focuser on mine, which was kind of a pain and, you know, it was just sort of a pain to have to do that. And then, you know, not super impressed with the inexpensive two inch focuser that I bought for it, but I don't want to spend a lot on a two inch focuser. But anyway, regardless, I kind of think that probably the Vixen two inch focuser that's kind of made for that is probably, is probably a, a really good focuser for that telescope. And it kind of is going to fit the fit and finish on it is just, just going to be what you need to actually hang two inch eyepieces off. I noticed with mine, like we were talking earlier about like kind of putting the brakes on focusers, um, and typically I don't, I don't really use them that much because I have good focusers, but with the really inexpensive focuser, um, you end up having to ride that brake quite a bit. And then of course, when you, when you're riding a brake like that, if just like when you're, if you ride the brakes in your car too much, you're, <laughs> you're wearing something out, you know, eventually. So anyway, so yeah, I'll be really keen to see, uh, how that one goes, um, and how, how it works with, you know, and I don't know if Larry has, has large two inch eye pieces or not, but, uh, but yeah, if he, if he does start using heavier two inch eye pieces with it, um, just curious to see how, how it handles those, uh, or how much braking he has to do with it. Anyway, that's probably about getting close to time. I imagine. Yeah, we are very close. We should wrap it up, sir. Yeah, well, that sounds good. Do you have anything else to to add? Any anything on on your horizons? Uh, nothing too substantial right now. No, I uh, hope to get some observing in this week. Well, not yeah. hope. I will, and uh, <laughs> I will have more to talk about next week. All right, sounds good. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us. Or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com.